Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Dory with you, Dane Wigington with us. Dane, I want to get into the documentary film, The Dimming. But first, let's talk about Texas and Colorado. Do you think climate engineering had anything to do with those two catastrophe states when the weather hit there? It had everything to do with it. Oh, boy. Meteorologically speaking, the events we see could not in any way, shape, or form be a natural occurrence. So, again, I want to cite these surrounding temperatures when you have not far away at the same latitude, a temperature that's 85 degrees warmer, both locations along the same record warm body of water, i.e. the Gulf of Mexico. And we can see on radar imagery these bands of warmer moisture being flashed out to chemically nucleated frozen material. So, George, what you hear the Weather Channel people, for example, all those agencies tasked with covering the tracks of the climate engineers, you'll often hear this term now. The rain will change over to snow. They yeah. say it all the time. And snow now often has nothing to do with elevation. You're either on the, quote, cold side of the, quote, winter storm or the warm side that, of the, That's quote, right. If storm. it's cold, it's going to snow. But that, It's going to be converted. It has nothing to do with elevation. And you have a surface layer of cold. And you have, the, again, the climate engineering cover-up crew at the Weather Channel trying to explain away how come the temperature's 20 degrees warmer up on the mountain than it is below. This is completely backwards, and it can only happen with an endothermic reacting material like chemical ice nucleation. If your listeners look for the engineering winter section on the homepage of geogenwatch.org, packed with data, photos, patents. Uh, this is very old technology. It's been refined over the years, but uh, this is absolutely a result of climate engineering. George, we can speculate on the agendas or the objectives, but this is absolutely positively an engineered winter scenario. Uh, we, we know a lot of the reasons why they're doing this. Part of it is to create sensationalized headlines. And, and when an event like that's going on, George, that's all you see, right? Headlines oh, yeah, that, it's right? huge. Yep. And you, you remember, let me give another example. Remember when the record snow happened in Boston? Yes, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it happened a few years ago, and all you saw was those headlines. What you didn't see when they were giving you the snow, 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 cold, cold, cold in Boston, you didn't see that 14,000 feet up in the, scenario, in the Sierras, it was 30, 40 degrees above normal with no snow. Zero. Didn't see that. So they direct your attention where they want it. They use this to polarize and divide the population. And, and here's our a basic premises. If there are two points, if I could make real quickly to give this back, because I don't want to forget them. One, on what we're seeing in our skies, we have up-close film footage of these aircraft with retrofit nozzles, nozzles visible, turning on and off. End of argument. It is not condensation. And two, George, and I would, your input on this would be welcome. In your opinion, and do you think this is correct, how can there be any legitimate conversation about the climate from any perspective without first and foremost acknowledging this factor? Does that sound rational? Yeah, it does sound rational, and I don't know how people can do it without it. Not legitimately. No. You can't. You really can't. And then, uh, as we were talking about Colorado before the break, who ever heard of two- or three-foot snowstorms? It's crazy. Well, in the Sierras, in, in the past, of course, we have had that. And, you know, but in, in other locations, again, when we look at this sort of whiplash scenario, and that's what's critical to these events, where it's very common, you'll, they'll go from record highs one day to this type of surface cold the next. And that surface cold may be only a few hundred feet deep. And we've, we are talking to pilots. In fact, we've got a, uh, several calls from private jet pilots that fly some very important people. And their aircraft recently were 
forced into a, an autopilot descent from higher altitudes because the air was so warm, about 40 degrees warmer than it should be, that the air was not dense enough to carry the aircraft. We're in very dangerous ground now. That is dangerous. Yes. That is. Well, let's talk about the uh, documentary film, The Dimmy. Tell me about the concept. What we did, what geoengineeringwatch.org was able to um, arrange and carry out, we acquired a NOAA, that's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Mm -hmm. Administration, flying lab uh, with great effort, expense, and difficulty. And we had a top scientist in that NOAA flying lab. We sampled the particulate layer being emitted from heavy aircraft at altitude. We analyzed that sampling at one of the world's most renowned labs, and we found exactly what we expected to find, starting with aluminum particulates. Jeez. And they can't deny that. We have solid... You proof. proof. You have proof. So this is, when you have an aluminum particulate there that's, again, number one element named in climate engineering patents, and it's important for your listeners to know this. All commercial carriers, all commercial aircraft, and all military tankers have what's called an, a high-bypass turbofan jet engine. That's a jet-powered fan designed for fuel efficiency. 90% of the air that moves through that engine is non-combusted. By design, that engine is nearly capable of creating any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. And because these particles are desiccants, George, they're drying out the upper atmosphere, and the atmosphere at flight altitude is getting warmer, not colder. The conditions are less and less conducive to any contrail formation by even engines that could produce a condensation trail. So, again, we have film footage. Your listeners can look at that at geoengineeringwatch.org. Up close, indisputable film footage of these aircraft, nozzles visible, turning on and off. How long do these particles, Dane, stay in the atmosphere before they float down to the planet? Really important question. So the climate science community that's betraying the human race, the entire web of life right now by their denial of this ongoing atrocity in our skies, they would have us believe that if they geoengineer, as if it's not been going on for 75 years, that these particles would remain aloft for one to two years in the stratosphere. That's a blatant lie. And we've worked with polymer chemists. The estimated descent time, depending on circumstances, can be as short as 12 to 24 hours. That's not very long. And that's why the dispersions need to be so constant. Now, there are conditions where they can remain aloft longer. But that's another reason why aluminum is used, because it has a low coagulation rate. It does not coagulate as much as other particles. And, George, have you seen, after rain event and drains and on streets, what looks like foaming rain almost? like Yes, soap? that's right. Or weaves of spider webs? Both. Thank you. The polymer fibers. And now you're, hearing, you're seeing news reports everywhere about everybody's got these polymer fibers, and we're led to believe you know, it's being absorbed in our organs, our heart brain tissue, we're led to believe that is just from decomposing plastic, which certainly is occurring, but yet they're finding these very uniform manufactured-looking particles everywhere, including at the top of Mount Everest. These are part of the chemical ice-nucleating operations, polymer fibers. So sometimes there appears to be mechanism malfunction. Uh, The polymer fibers are called for in patents to be dispersed behind the aircraft to help hold these particles aloft, much like a spider web would. But when the mechanisms appear to malfunction, we'll see whole landscape covered with what looks like spider webs. We've analyzed this material. Unless spiders are making their webs out of toxic heavy metals like aluminum and barium, they are not spider webs. So uh, bottom line, again, the amount of materials that are coming down on us that we're all inhaling, it radically inflames our respiratory system. 
That makes us susceptible to any and every form of pathogen, including CV-19. And on that note, George, I don't know if you've seen this report, but we have a peer-reviewed science study from researchers in Europe proving CV-19 has been found attached to airborne particulates. How did that happen? Yeah, that's bizarre. Another story, but I mean, I'm just saying that um, when you're when this kind of dispersion is going on in our skies, how can we know what else might be involved, whether it's biologicals or anything else? But even if even without that, even with materials that we know are being dispersed, the toxicity is immense, and uh, the, the the effects are really catastrophic. Could this be the cause of Morgellons disease? Uh, that's another subject, but we do know that, of course, a, a body will try to expel foreign material. And if this material is being absorbed in our system... People say they have little fibers coming out of their skin. They do. So, again, it would, given what we know is being inhaled in the air column, uh, it it's, uh, certainly would appear to be a direct uh, connection. And, and we're being exposed to toxic elements from countless sources. We, we don't deny that. And as far as the state of the climate, I don't think anybody can argue, George, the human race has been very poor stewards of our planet. Um, we're not denying any of that, but we're stating that the intentional operations or the intentional climate intervention operations are the most catastrophic of all, and how can we have a legitimate discussion about the climate from any perspective without addressing this first? Absolutely. It's, it's frightening. Tell me a little bit about the ozone layer. What's happening there? The ozone layer is in extremely dire condition. We have a NASA contract engineer that works directly with us with state-of-the-art equipment we supplied him with. We're getting now UVC in the surface. So for your listeners to understand, you have UVA, UVB, UVC, and then X-ray. That's the layers of UV spectrum. We're told that 95% of incoming UV is UVA, 5% UVB, no UVC. We're told UVC stops 100,000 feet up because that's a, a DNA-damaging spectrum of UV radiation. It is on the surface now. Our metering absolutely conclusively proves very dangerous amounts are on the surface now. The ozone layer is absolutely disintegrating. Any reports you see to the contrary is are simply deception to try to pacify populations. If, you're, if your listeners look at trees, for example, the south-southwest side of many species of trees, the bark is fried off the trunk from tip to, to, the, to the base. Cambrian layer, or the uh, core wood exposed. We're losing plankton from massive UV uh, radiation. We're, we have period study of whales' backs being sunburnt now. Um, this is a, a catastrophic scenario. The single greatest factor with ozone destruction is climate engineering. And this is acknowledged by peer-reviewed study if, because they're not admitting it's going on, they say if we were to climate engineer, it would damage the ozone layer. It's happening. So it's, you know, it's just one more factor that, uh, to, to prove conclusively this is occurring. But the ozone destruction is grave. At the current rate of ozone loss, our, in, our contract engineer calculates if the current rate of loss continues, we might face total ozone layer collapse by 2026. Could the planet heal itself if we stopped all this? Not in any time frame that matters. And let's look at past paleo events. If we look at the, and this doesn't mean that we don't fight on. It doesn't mean that we can't salvage something. I want to make that clear. I mean, just because what we've known is done and gone and not coming back in any time frame that matters, there's still a reason to fight, and that's to salvage something. Past paleo events, equilibrium periods from mass, mass methane expulsion, uh, 55 million years ago we had what's called the Petum event, Paleocene, Eocene, Thermal Maximum, equilibrium period about 10 to 20 million years 
for the planet to, aka, restore itself. And what's happening now is happening hundreds of times faster. We are indeed in very uncharted territory. But if we can start with stopping climate engineering, the planet would try to reach a new equilibrium. It can't do that now, George, because climate engineering is disrupting every single natural life support system on the planet. And everyone's doing it, aren't they? Every country, with very few exceptions, are either actively or passively participating. We have Senate documents at geoengineeringwatch.org, some as long as 800 pages, outlining global cooperation, even between adversarial countries, i.e. China, Russia, U.S. Also, this particular document calls for blanket legal immunity for anyone involved with these programs. And, you know, it's that type of stipulation that should raise alarm. Obviously, they're doing immense harm. I mean, it's, it's unquantifiable. And if this ever, if we can get this to light, George, I would argue there would be a shockwave around the globe as populations realize what their governments have done to them without their knowledge, without their consent, and we would alter the complexion of what we face. What do people, your critics, what do your critics say about what you say? Well, we, we hear a lot from people that might sound like a reasonable argument unless you know what the facts are. For example, George, let's look at aluminum. And you'll hear some quote-unquote experts state that aluminum is, is a very abundant in our strata, about 8%. We, should, we would expect to see it everywhere, including the rain and so forth. That's a blatant, glaring lie because aluminum does not exist in the environment in free form. So a person hearing that argument from a so-called expert who's really invested in denying this, it might sound reasonable to them, like there's no problem with aluminum everywhere. You cannot have bioavailable aluminum in the environment unless it's been mined and refined and distributed. And that bioavailable aluminum is bioaccumulative in systems. It's building up in all of us. And George, I'm sure you know how epidemic Alzheimer's and dementia is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we know from the world's most recognized research on aluminum that without aluminum in the equation, there would be no Alzheimer's or dementia in the normal human lifespan of 100 years. So why is it so epidemic? Why is it killing bees? Why is it showing up in whales? Because it's ubiquitous in the environment, number one ingredient in climate engineering operations. And again, we can speculate as to the uh, reasons why they're not concerned about contaminating everything. And we, and we see with the military-industrial complex, they often are concerned. Why do they detonate 2,000 nuclear bombs? Uh, didn't they know they worked after a few dozen, and that contaminated the entire planet? They're doing the same thing now. So uh, bottom line is uh, we can, again, speculate about the motives of those at the top. We can certainly assume that those, most of those involved are being told they're doing something good, which couldn't be further from the truth. But if we add up everything that geoengineering is doing to us, to the planet, we must consider it mathematically, statistically, the greatest and most immediate threat we collectively face short of nuclear cataclysm. That, that's, that's horrible. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.